Thank you for joining us again this evening. We are on Sunday nights going on a journey with John, and we've endeavored in this study to be intentionally methodical, thoughtful, and intentional about how we think about who Jesus is according to John. We've been in chapter 1 for a while. We're nearing the halfway point. I want to read to you from John chapter 1, starting in verse 12, is where we'll begin tonight. The Apostle of Love writes, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. A lot to unpack there as we talk about the incarnate living word. Verses 12 and 13 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Later in the epistle of 1 John, chapter 3, John will write, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children. Of God, And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I point out those verses to emphasize what John is saying here, very similar to what Dennis mentioned this morning in his talk on the Lord's Supper. He gave the right to become children of God through all to all who believed on his name. That's important because there's a different kind of relationship that John's pointing out here between us and God. It's no longer at a distance, but it's the pure, intimate, close relationship of a parent to a child. And how that takes place is through Christ. And because of what he did, because he was a true son, he allows us to be sons and daughters as well. 
C.S. Lewis said, famously, Who dares to waken the king for a glass of water in the middle of the night, save the child of the king? I always thought that was a simple and poignant way to point to what, what's happening when we're allowed to be called sons and daughters. It reminds us of who we are because of what he did. We know Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When you, when you profess, I don't know if you did it in a church building or a youth rally or a camp. When someone asks you, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God? I've asked that question to lots of people over the years. And I've never heard someone at that moment say no. But the profession is going to be lived out in more than just that moment. What do you believe about the Christ? Do you believe he is the Lord? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth we confess and are saved. If the mouth speaks of the abundance of the heart, what is your heart saying about what you believe concerning the Christ? To all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We don't deserve that. It wasn't by our own merits. It wasn't something that we did that impressed God to the point that we earned that right. It was bestowed to us. We cannot demand it by our own merit. It was a gift. And he's the only way that we can be uh, born again, not of flesh and blood, but of God. And unless we go that way, we can have no part of the kingdom Jesus himself would say, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In these last days, the last hope of man on earth is through his son. And that through his son, we can be called sons and daughters. It's a beautiful picture. It gives us, it ought to give us at least a deeper appreciation, and a deeper relationship with our God. There are things your children will ask you for that no one else in this world will ask for. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. I used to read through that very quickly and think, okay, he's speaking of the Scripture, but he's speaking more than Scripture. He's talking about the whole, everything that John's been leading up to at this point, the living Word. And it, because he, what he says is the living and abiding Word of God. He gives us the right through Christ. We maintain the responsibility of whether we're going to live out the profession of our belief. And the hope of our heart. Verses 14 and 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. 
Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is, was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. The entire point of the Gospel of John is coming down to these verses, and he's going to repeat it in chapter 20. But it's bigger than that. So much bigger than just the one book, or the four books, or the New Testament. The whole book is centered on this one man coming into the world. The, uh, I picked this Bible because it has this scarlet thread. Now, every scripture that we read, every prophecy that we pour over, every jot, every tittle was designed to point in one direction. Designed to point to one man. And that's what John, that's who John is introducing here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became flesh. John points out several references throughout the, his biography of Jesus, of Jesus' human nature. Uh, we've already pointed out in verse 14 that he was uh, born of woman. Chapter 11 tells us that he, Jesus was sad and then he wept. He had emotion. Uh, not just sadness and, and uh, being sad at the funeral of Lazarus, of course. He also had anger. I'm sure he had joy. But the emotions of human, the human experience are things that the gospel point out many times. We know that Jesus grew physically hungry and tired. Um, we were, my son and I were going on Saturday, making a run to the, the donut shop. Thank you for your judgment. Um, and <laughs> for some reason, we got to talking about how when Jesus was tempted, the scripture says that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. And about what that must have been like to have gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. Jesus had a, not just a physical hunger. He had a, a much deeper hunger than the physical. We also know that Jesus got thirsty from a very famous story of when he went to, meet a, went to a well and had a very well-known conversation. He bled. He died. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was the first true man who ever lived. And I've chewed on that a lot. And I think it, it is true, but it's hard to know how true it is because we don't have that experience. He was the fullness of God in flesh. Perfect deity and also humanity. How did that work? Well, that's for another sermon by another preacher. But because he was both human and divine, we were for the first time able to behold the glory of God, full of grace and truth in one man. 
I also should mention that he was tempted in every way, just as we are. How can God be tempted? How can the fullness of deity enter into human flesh and be subjected to temptation, where it's really, truly temptation? Scripture tells us that's the case. We may not fully understand, but I believe, as the Scripture we'll look at here in just a minute, it's impossible for us to claim Jesus as truly who he was if we don't believe that he was fully human and fully God. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 as he makes this case, By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. To be able to, to, to have the, the perfect, sinless, holy, righteous nature of God, the unholy, imperfect, unrighteous, sinful, fleshly nature of man. To be able to do what was right and yet be tempted to not do what was right. Father, this is what I will. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Hebrews chapter 2 goes into this in a little more depth. Verse 14 and following. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like this, his brothers, in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Of course, you probably better know Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and following. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. You see, the Jews had a high priest. They understood that concept. He went in and he made atonement and he, and he was a part of the law. But he was like them, short. He fell short. He, he, was, he, he lacked getting all the way there because he himself had sinned. And Jesus was different. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's so important that we understand the fullness of Christ in both his deity and his humanity. And how, again, I've never heard someone explain it where I fully say, aha, I've never read a commentary where I say, yes, that totally makes sense. But we believe that he's the first and the best high priest because he was like us, and yet he was so far from us. He was full of grace and truth, even when we were not. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. But the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I was literally on the, on the way home today. Pulled up to a stoplight, a car in front of me, had a bumper sticker, which is of course how you should get all your great theology. And it said the Ten Commandments are not optional. And while I agree that's true, and while I agree that the law is true, there's 601 other commands that are just as true. And if you're going to base your righteousness on fulfilling one commandment, then you have to go the whole way and fill your righteousness by filling all of the commandments. And there's been a pretty low success rate with that. At some point, if you can even name all ten commandments, you're going to break one of them. And the law stipulates that when you break the law, there's just one punishment. There's only one fitting punishment for the lawbreaker, and that's death. And not always in the case of physical death, but certainly spiritual death. The separation. So you want to abide to your righteousness by holding on to the law. You're going to have a problem when you come against a law that you break. I know the commands uh, that I can pick on other people for. They're the ones that I don't break. But the ones that I have a problem with, the ones that I struggle with again and again and again and again and again, this is where I need a Savior. This is where I need a Messiah. For from His fullness, Jesus didn't come to put away the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Meaning... The only way you get to keep all the commands perfectly is through the one and only who did it perfectly. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. His fullness was complete, not lacking any part. He kept them all. He may have been tempted to break them. We know he was very specifically by the devil himself. But he was without sin. He didn't fall to the temptation. Because of his fullness, we have grace upon grace. When we have fully received a gift, uh, I'm sorry, we have fully received a gift from God through Jesus. Once accepted, 
that grace is just compound interest. It just builds on itself. It just rolls over again and again. And the, the more mature you are in Christ, I used to think that maturity in Christ meant knowledge of the Word. And then I used to think maturity in Christ meant a deeper, longer uh, prayer life. And those are good things and no problem with that. But I think one of the marks of maturity, of people, of saints that I talk to who have been in Christ for better than half their life, who truly get it, realize what a debtor to grace they are. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize how far you are from Him and how much you depend on Him. It's compounding. It builds. And it ought to overflow in our lives. I love the way Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Another translation says his grace to me was not in vain. That's a good measure of how much you've been impacted by the, by the Christ. How much grace overflows in your life. For when you've received it, and when you really understand the debt that's been paid on your behalf, the mercy that you show toward others and the grace that you bestow to others ought to be, it ought to just go up and up and up. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll repeat it again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. How is it that we can draw with confidence? By understanding who he was and who we are not. And by understanding what he did and the the fulfillments of the law that he paid for in his death. And how he overcame through his resurrection. The law made us aware of our sin. The law makes us aware of how how short we fall. And it also makes us aware of our complete inability to do anything about it. The law was God's perfect standard. And it was good and righteous. And yet because of its goodness and its righteousness, it stood opposed to us by nature who were objects of wrath. Jesus could be grace because he fully fulfilled each and every requirement of that law. And because he fulfilled each and every part of it, he embodied the full truth of God. This is what he wrote in Romans Chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man take uh, to be a sin offering, and so He condemned sin. It was impossible 
for us to see the glory of God by ourselves. God had to make himself known through Jesus. He could have made himself known through the law, but the law had a problem in that we were so far from the law. And so he became the living law, the living word. And that's what we, as we go through this biography, and I spent so much time talking about the living word, is because this is the foundation on which John is going to build. This entire story has to do with him. What do we, what can we take from this? What can we gather and how can we be changed as we think about the lesson for our own lives? Number one, let the word dwell in you. I think it's important to be in the word, but I think it's more important to let the word dwell within you. If, if all of that's true about Jesus being fully God and fully man, and I believe that it is, and if he's full of grace and truth, if he's the embodiment of the, of the law and yet the fullness and the glory of God imparted to us, so what? What difference does that make if he does not dwell within you? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Lots of people know about Jesus, but how many of us know Jesus? Many have studied Jesus, but how many of them let him control and rule and reign in the heart? How will the world believe in Jesus now that he doesn't physically dwell among us? You know, we can't see him walking around and doing the miracles that we're going to talk about. How's the world going to see that? It's only going to be through us. Christ in us. Second Corinthians 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When they see you on your job, they ought to hear Christ, they ought to see Christ, they ought to say, I, I've, I've never... Physically witness Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But I bet he looks a lot like him. I bet he looks a lot like her. How do we do this? Colossians 3.12 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now catch this, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, we sit here tonight, odds are you're going to have 168 hours in this week to live Christ, to show Christ, to share Christ, to be Christ. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Secondly, make the Father known. Jesus the Son, of course, was one with the Father. When we beheld the Son, he's testified to himself, you see the Father. His life then made the Father known in everything that he did. I mean, from the first time when he was 12 years old at the temple, and his parents were saying, why did you do this to us? Why did you embarrass us this way? Of course, he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He revealed who he was by what he said and what he did. Children should love their fathers and their mothers, and they should imitate what they do. And that's pretty scary when you think about it. But Jesus did the very same thing. Everything he did was because he loved the Father and wanted to make him known. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him that all that he himself is doing And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. If the Son lives in you, do people see him? Do people see him dwelling in you? And are you making the Father known? Well, the lesson is yours tonight. Uh, I hope that as we begin this journey with John, as we've set up the foundation, we can now begin understanding a little more about the type of people that Jesus called, why he was called the Lamb of God what it was that made Jesus so angry, and exactly what Jesus meant by changing water to wine. Well, all of that I'm looking forward to in this journey, and thank you for your patience as we have taken several weeks to get the foundation set. But I think we're headed in the right direction. Tonight the lesson is yours. If you have a need tonight uh, where you do not know Christ, we extend that invitation to you that you may know the Father The only way the Father can be known is through the Son. And if you are in Christ, but you have lost your focus, He hasn't been dwelling in you as richly as you know He should be, and your life is not making the Father known, well, we'd like to pray with you, encourage you, do whatever we can to help you along your journey. Whatever your need might be tonight, meet me down front. I'll be glad to help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing.